Good evening. Well, so glad you guys came. Merry Christmas. Glad you're here tonight. I apologize if you're sitting out there and you can't see me. I'm just going to tell you this. It's probably for the better that you can't see me. There's nothing impressive here. Uh, but I'm so glad that you guys came tonight. Um, it's Christmas, or it's almost Christmas. I love Christmas. I, I don't know about you, but I, I love Christmas. There's a lot to love about Christmas. There's family. There's time off work for other people, right? Um, <laughs> there is Christmas presents, Christmas trees. There's Christmas movies. I love the movies. Elf is my favorite. Uh, Christmas music, though. That's the thing that I really enjoy. I do not start until right after uh, Thanksgiving. That's a rule in my household. Uh, but we have a family tradition. What I will do typically is I will grab the guitar, and every Christmas season we'll come out and we'll grab the guitar. We've even got little lyric sheets that we'll put around, and we will sing Christmas carols at our house. But I don't know if you've ever started about Christmas carols and some of the lyrics that are actually in there. If you actually paid attention to them. For example, Let It Snow, okay? This came out long before Let It Go came out, but Let It Snow is a beautiful song. It's, oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we know place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I love that. Did you know that song is all about making out? Did you know that? <laughs> Look at the lyrics. The lights are turned way down low. Oh, the fire is slowly dying, but my dear, we're still goodbying. So let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It's like my new favorite song between my wife and I. I did not know that coming up. But how about this one? Santa Claus is coming to town. I don't know if you've ever listened to that. That's the freakiest song I have ever heard in my life. You better watch out. Our kids, we sing this to our kids. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. It's like a threat because Santa Claus is coming to town and he's bringing a bat and it's not for you to play baseball. It's for him to hit you with, right? You know, it's a scary song. But the next line, peoples, have you ever thought about that? He sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> I don't know if he's standing in the room, right? Or if he's got cameras up, but either way, it's fully disturbing. What about the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? That's probably the strangest Christmas song of all Christmas songs. Think of the lyrics. Here you go. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. Talking lambs. Exactly. I think that shepherd boy has been out in the field far too long, don't you? They're having a conversation. The lamb's like, bah. And he's like, oh, my gosh. I got to write that down. He's like, bah. I'm like, that's amazing. We got to tell the mighty king. <laughs> and then they do. The song goes on. They see the mighty king. And it's like, a child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket, right? How about some soup, some hot soup? The child is shivering in the cold. And they're like, ah, he'll be fine. Just throw some gold on him. It'll be all right. It's crazy, these lyrics. Think through this song. It's the most wonderful time of the world, the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I love that song. It's just not true, right? It's not true. This season, the Christmas season, as much as we look forward to, is it not one of the most difficult times of the year? 
Like, look at the stats, because the stats are staggering. Here you are. 75% of Americans feel more anxious. They feel more depressed in this holiday season than any other time. 75%. Suicide rates go up. Crime rates tip the scales. In the last 20 years, the percentage of Americans, right, that feel lonely during this time has doubled to 40% of Americans, almost half. We've almost reached half of Americans feel lonely in this season. So the problem with Christmas, all right, the problem with Christmas is it's supposed to be, in our minds, the most wonderful time of the year, and yet it is oftentimes the loneliest time of year, or it can be. And maybe that's you today. I don't know. Maybe uh, when you walked in, you've been wrestling with the unrealistic expectations of Christmas. Every time you see a commercial, you're reminded of what you don't have. Every time you get on the internet, you think you're missing something, right? If you're looking at any of the social media sites. I don't know if you guys get the Christmas cards. We get lots of Christmas cards of other families. And my wife, she'll put them organized in a section of the house all on the wall. And I go and I look at those. And I'm like, why is every other family happier than me, right? Like, I need to join their family. Everything looks amazing, right? And it's, and we put this pressure on ourselves that Christmas has got to be perfect, that we've got to have the Pioneer Woman dinner spread, right? <laughs> we've got to have the Joanna Gaines home complete with the Clark Griswold Christmas lights, <laughs> right? If we don't have that, we feel like Uncle Eddie in a turtleneck. That's our cousin Eddie, It's crazy. Expectations are through the roof. Relationships get strained, and it's go, 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 rush, rush, rush. Got to get in the car. Got to get the kids. We got to get to that place where we'll be with the family, if we're really honest, that we're not that excited to see, right? It's a crazy season. And yes, here's the struggle. We're physically present. We're all together. And yet, in the midst of that, we can feel distant, We can feel disconnected, detached. We can feel far from our family, can't we? Even far from our spouse and at times far from God. And so what's crazy enough about this whole thing is that there's a group of people in the Christmas story that feel the same way, that have felt the same way or probably did feel the same way. And they're not the center stage of Christmas because that's Jesus, right, in the manger. They're kind of on the side. And if you look at the nativity scenes, they're kind of often on the side. um, But they're probably in there. And it's the shepherds. I'm talking about the shepherds. The most unlikely individuals, truly, the most unlikely individuals to be at that first sacred Christmas. And so when we talk about shepherds, we typically think of who? If you've been in church for a little bit, we think of which guy? We think of David, right? And David did a really good job of kind of glamorizing, Hollywooding, you know, You think of them in their little sling. He took down Goliath. It's this great thing. But the position of shepherd, the job, the role, the occupation of shepherd was far from glamorous back in Jesus' day. In fact, the shepherds, catch this, they lived with the sheep. I will say that again. They lived with the sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They woke up with the sheep. They hung out with the sheep, right? If If they wanted to go somewhere, they had to go with the sheep. You can see why the shepherd boy talked to the sheep is because it was a lonely, lonely, lonely life. And in fact, in Jesus's day, shepherds were on the bottom rung of the Palestinian, Palestinian social ladder. They had the same status, okay, as tax collectors and dung sweepers. Same status. They weren't considered, they were considered ceremonially unclean. They're considered to be sinners and they had no civil rights. So catch this. 
They couldn't even testify in court. So if they witnessed a crime, if they witnessed a murder, they could not give testimony in that in court because their word meant nothing. Like it meant nothing. They were outcasts. Dr. Wahim Jeremias, a German theologian, said this. He said this about shepherds. To buy wool, milk, or anything from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be probably stolen. Stolen property. So shepherds weren't trusted. They weren't respected. They were outsiders. And they lived a lonely, lonely, lonely life. Which is so fascinating to me, right? That it's actually, it's crazy. It's why it's so amazing and even comforting that Jesus, that God chose them out of priests and prophets and kings to announce the coming of the Messiah, to announce the birth of Jesus, to give the first clue that, hey, Christmas is here. They were the first ones to hear. And so let's look at that story about the shepherds, all right? In the Gospel of Luke, here's how he records the account. It says, that night, So we're talking Christmas night right here. There were shepherds living. Did you catch that? Living, not hanging out, not passing through. They were living out in the fields nearby. They were protecting or keeping watch over their flocks. When suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance, okay, or the light of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, which just like I would be terrified and you would be terrified, if you ran into an angel, you'd be terrified, okay? But the angel said to them, and again, the standard angel greeting, every time they jump onto the scene, it's the same words all the time. It's, do not be afraid, And the reason that is, is because every time someone sees an angel, they're instantly afraid. They think they're seeing God, but they're seeing an angel. And he says, do not be afraid. I bring you, here it is, good news. And we can't miss that right now. Not this Christmas, because that's what Christmas is all about, right? It is good news. And if Christmas is not good news to you, if something in the past has tainted it for you, then this message, what I'm talking about right now, is definitely for you. The angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And this next sentence is is so huge. Here's what it is. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. Where has he been born? In Bethlehem, the city of David. Now to us, right, to our ears, that sentence may not mean a whole lot. It doesn't have a whole lot of significance. It seems to blend into the rest. It doesn't stand out. There's no big deal. But if you were a Jew back then and you heard those statements, those words, those words Messiah, Savior, City of David, if you heard those, even if you were a shepherd, you would have been like, oh my goodness. You would have instantly known in that moment who the angel was talking about. Be like, this is the long-awaited promise. We have been waiting for this, and it is finally here. I can't believe I'm alive in this moment, and I get to be around at the same time that this promise was happening. So what is the promise? What is the angel talking about? Here is the promise of Christmas. 700 years, I will repeat that, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, these words were proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah. He said this, he predicted The Lord himself, speaking of God, will give you a sign. Here's the sign. A virgin, we know that to be Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
Now, the word Emmanuel is three small Hebrew words, im, im, manu, el, which means with us, God. And you put those together, you kind of switch them around. It means God with us. That is the promise of Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. It is huge. It is, the, it is the truth that God came down from heaven from this very comfortable spot to come in the form of a baby to become the Messiah to save us from our sins. He came down for us, God with us. That's the beauty of Christmas. But as a pastor, I have been asked several times, many times over the year, that if God is truly real, right, if he is truly real, then why doesn't he just reveal himself to everybody? Why doesn't he just all of a sudden show up so that the world, I mean, this would be the perfect time, right? You got cameras everywhere, you show up, God is on camera, all of a sudden the entire world would believe in him. And the greatest explanation, right, the greatest explanation for why the incarnation happened, why Emmanuel is, why God came down, that I have ever heard is in the form of a story. And it's in the story of a farmer. There was this farmer, and one morning he gets up really early, and he goes down to the kitchen, the kitchen and he grabs his coffee, and he sits down at the kitchen table. And as he's there, he's looking out the window, just like now, and he sees that it's snowing. It's the first snow of the winter. And he notices while he's looking out there that there are these little baby birds, probably like five of them, right, that are running around. He doesn't know where the mom is. He doesn't know how he, they got there. But he sees just five birds walking around inside of the snow, and he thinks, oh, my gosh, I got to... I got to help him. He loves animals, so there you go. So he thinks, I got to get them to safety. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get them in the barn because the barn is warm. It's where all the other animals are. And so he goes out there, and the moment he walks out there and he walks up to these little birds, they freak out. They run. They see this big, huge human, right, this human. They cannot comprehend it with their tiny minds. But the birds just keep flying away, and so he's trying to catch them, but he can't catch them, so he's frustrated. So he thinks, okay, I can outsmart the birds. I'm, I'm a human. They're birds. So he tries to corral them and move them into the shed, into the opening of the shed, but they wouldn't go into the shed. So then he gets smart, and he thinks, I'm going to put little grain or breadcrumb trail to try to guide them in, but they didn't do that either. And so frustrated, the guy sits down on a stump, and he's thinking, how in the world, how can I get these birds? They need to find their way to safety, otherwise they're not going to make it. How am I going to do that? And in, in his imagination, it couldn't happen, but he thought, oh, what I wish I could do is I wish I could become a bird. And then I would walk up to them, and they wouldn't be afraid of me. They wouldn't freak out. And I could say to them, and bird language, here's the way. Here's the way that we need to go. I'll take you to safety. I'll show you where life is. And in that moment, the farmer realized the purpose of the incarnation, why Jesus came to the planet is because he came here to show us the way. He came here to show us life. And in the same situation, it is why we celebrate Emmanuel today. It's why Jesus is born, and it's the good news of Christmas. So here's the story. It continues. The angel said to the shepherds, and this will be a sign for you. So this is crazy because literally if the angels weren't proof enough, now they're saying, hey, there's going to be a sign for you that the Messiah came. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloth, not clothes, cloth, lying in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. Suddenly, a large army of angels appeared with the first angel. They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom, on whom his favor rests. 
And you got to picture this because this is absolutely amazing. Heaven has cracked open and one angel that freaked them out shows up and, you know, they're like, uh, do not be afraid. I bring great news. And then all of a sudden it opens wider and there is it, some translations say there's a legion, an army of angels that are standing up there. Instead of attacking them or going after them, right, they start to sing songs. It's almost hilarious. They start to sing in that moment. I'd be freaked, you'd be freaked out by one, but now there's many, and they're like, this is the first account of Christmas caroling ever, and it's happening right there to these shepherds. They get to hear it for the first time. And then it says, when the angels had left them and, um, and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see. So they want to check this out for themselves. The thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about, so they hurried off and found, they found the nativity scene, right? They found Mary and Joseph and the promised one, the promised one himself. There was the baby lying in a manger. Truly, I think the first gift of Christmas, a lot of people think it's the magi handing them silver and gold, but the first gift of Christmas was given to the shepherds. It was given to the shepherds in the form of proof, Right? Proof that this is the Messiah. This is the promise of Christmas. And you're thinking for yourself, well, lucky them. I would love to have proof that God was around, that God was real. If I only knew that for sure, then it would make a whole lot of things easier. But the truth is we have proof. And we have literally prophecies. The proof is in the prophecies. You might have thought it was in the pudding. It's not. It is in the prophecies. There are over 300 messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 300. One of those is Micah 5. It is, it's, it's one of these prophecies where they say where Jesus will be born. And it says it'll be in Bethlehem, the, the city of David. So when the shepherds heard this, they were like, oh my gosh, that's where he's supposed to be born. They would have known that as Jewish boys. They would have known that. And what I think is crazy about that prophecy in particular is that nobody can control the place in which they're being born right? You could, some of these prophecies Jesus could have known about and then done, but you cannot make up the fact or change the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. I was born in Lakewood, Washington. If I could change that, right, I would. I truly would. I would I'd find another place to be born, like Bellevue or something like that. But I can't change that. Jesus couldn't do that. It was a fulfillment of a prophecy, and there wasn't just one there was 300, and Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those messianic prophecies. They were signs that were given to us as proof. And what's better than a sign, right, is what Emmanuel means to us personally. What the impact is of Emmanuel. In verse 10, it talks about joy, a great joy to all people. Other things you receive by receiving Emmanuel's courage, life, you, you receive hope and purpose, all these things. But the one, only one I want to focus on tonight, the only one I want to focus on is the, is the one of peace. When we invite Emmanuel, God with us into our life, we receive peace. Look back at verse 14. The angels sang, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Just so that you know, this is the phrase where we get the phrase, peace on earth and goodwill to men. This is where it comes from. But I need you to hear this because this is super important. God never promised world peace. He never did. There will not be peace in the Middle East until heaven and earth come back together. 
Okay, we can pray for it all we want, but you have to check out the rest of the verse. So often we take one part of the verse and then we forget the rest of the verse. You have to take all verses in the context. Catch this. It says, peace on earth to those. So peace on earth is for an individual or a group of whom his favor rests. To those on whom his favor rests. So the natural question is, to whom does God's favor rest? On his people. On the people he chose, and on the people who chose to follow him. Peace is a promise, but it is found in a person. Peace is found in a person, in Jesus, in Emmanuel. In fact, his nickname is Prince of Peace. Isaiah, the same prophet who predicted Jesus 700 years prior to his birth, said this. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so, friends, for this Christmas season, or even just any season, if you want to know peace, you have to get to know Jesus. If you really want to know what peace feels like and not to have that internal struggle, you get to need to know Emmanuel, God with us, because when we really know him, that's when we really get to know peace. So many of you know our story, right? That on September 9th, 2014, we received the worst news that you could possibly receive as a parent. We heard and were told by doctors that our daughter had terminal brain cancer and there was no treatment. There was nothing that we could do to change that. I remember sitting in that actual room right there and I remember hearing those words and almost having an out-of-body experience where they said, your daughter has three to nine months to live. This is my daughter. The daughter should be standing up there singing away in a manger. And they said that she had three to nine months to live. Three to nine months. And you don't know how to take something like that when it comes in that moment. You don't know how to respond. I know that my wife, when she heard, she was almost numb at that point in time. It registered with me, and I burst into tears. And Maggie, in that moment, right, in that moment, she asked me, what's, you know, Daddy, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. Why are you crying? And, and I said, because I love you. I had no, no idea what else to say, right? No idea what to say. I was at a complete loss for words. And some of you are like, that's crazy. I've never known that. I was at a complete loss for words. And in the next nine months, okay, we experienced the most intense pain that you could possibly experience and the most extreme joy. And sometimes those were in the exact same moment, the exact same moment. We're, we're so joyful for what we're experiencing and in the same moment, we're not gonna be able to experience it for in it much longer. We got to do candlelight service with Maggie for one more time. We love that. And then on June 22nd, Maggie died in our arms. We were holding her right in between us, and Maggie passed between us. I, that, moment, that moment where she's like there, and then she's not, it's so unbelievable to comprehend. Like in a moment, she just left. She was there. She took her last breath, and then she was gone. She was our princess. She was our brave little entertainer. She was our baby, and so oftentimes now when we think of the story of Christmas and we think of the joy of the birth, it makes me reflect back onto Maggie's birth, 
My wife and I, we think of Mary and the joy that she must have had to give birth to a Savior, but then the struggle she must have had to watch her kid die in front of her eyes. Because she was there. She was at the foot of the cross when this all went down. And so in some tiny, small way, we feel like we can relate to some degree with what we walk through. And speaking of what we walk through, if there was ever a time, right? If there was ever a time to feel like God was not with us, that he had abandoned us, that he was gone, that he didn't care, this would have been the time. This would have been it. Yet for some reason, friends, I'm just telling you, we clung to Emmanuel like no other. It became my wife's theme. She started to talk about it all the time. She has even, she's even wearing a little key today that says Emmanuel down the middle that we got back then. Emmanuel became our theme because we truly felt like God was with us throughout every step. Let me be clear in this. We did not have peace in the prognosis. We were not okay with what was said about our daughter, and we would have done anything. If I could have changed it, I would have changed it. If I could have taken her spot, I would have taken her spot, right? I would have done that, and we, but we didn't have that choice. So we weren't at peace with the prognosis, but in the midst of it all, truly we felt like his presence, right, was with us, that God himself was walking step by step with us, you would think it should be the absolute opposite, but we found peace in a person in that time. In the person of Jesus, we felt like his presence was with us. And so you think, okay, how is that even possible with what you were walking through? Let me explain. I'll do the best I can to show you how we felt on a practical level when it came to God being with us. The first way we knew that Emmanuel was with us was through God's people. Very practical. Through God's people, God was with us. Here's what people, God's church, his family came and surrounded us and did. They gave us one year's worth of meals, free cooking, right? We didn't have to cook. Some food was great. Some food was not so great. We ate it all. We truly did. We had gifts that were given to us in our garage. We had a big garage at the time, and we had stacks of tables that they were on because we had so many gifts, and we, we, we could not give them all, all the dresses, all the blankets, all the cards. We had things given to us from all over the world. We had snacks that we could take to the hospital because we went there a, a lot, and then we'd come home, and somebody had mowed our yard right? So, and we would never find out who that was. Work parties came to our house, and they started to do the projects around the house that I couldn't get to because I was just going to spend time with my family. So they painted rooms in our house and reseated our yard. It was crazy. They steam cleaned our carpets. Um, I, I really have no idea how they got in our house, um, but they did. And there was house cleaning. Catch this. We got house cleaning by someone who paid for it for a year after that. Balloons. We, I really do not know who this person was. But someone would drop off balloons every, about every two weeks. And they were little characters of like Olaf or the princesses or Winnie the Pooh or something of that nature or Mickey or something of that. And the girls got used to driving in and like, look, there's Mickey on our doorstep, right? I don't know who did that. People would do our laundry. They refilled my Pepsi supply, so thank you if that was you. Very important. They donated money so that we could make memories, that we could go to, um, on a hot air balloon to Disneyland, to Hawaii. They threw a princess ball in honor of my daughter. We had free babysitting so we could go out on date nights. Those were very difficult nights and difficult conversations. 
people actually organized our bills and paid our insurance. David Piscatelli, who, um, who was here last service, I didn't write this down in here, I remember him reading an entire manual of different options for treatment and basically said, I can't comprehend it, so can you read it and then give me an idea of what you think? He read the whole flipping thing, and it was like crazy French language. The people with us at every turn of the way. They provided around-the-clock companionship for the weeks surrounding her death, so somebody was always at the house. And people prayed around the clock, around the world for us. That's how Emmanuel was with us, and a prayer. Another way in which God was with us was through his spirit. And this is a harder one to explain. You can't quite put this one into words. In Philippians 4, um, 4 Paul says this. He says, when you, uh, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Other translations say it transcends all understanding or it surpasses all understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There is no other way to say it, but there was this internal sense in the midst of the worst situation that I could possibly imagine that God had us in his hands, in his arms, that, there, that, that it was going to be okay. And we knew it wasn't going to be okay because there was a 0% survival chance. So we knew she was going to pass away or there was going to be a miracle. But somehow, in the midst of it, I don't know how else to explain it, in the pit of my being, in the pit of my wife's being, not because of anything that we did, but because God literally gave us the Holy Spirit to comfort us in times of that, uh, like that. It was crazy. And we should not have felt that comfortable or that okay with those things. But yet we knew God was going to, it was going to be okay, even if it wasn't okay. His presence was with us in a supernatural way. And speaking of that, that's the last one. It's Emmanuel was with us through the miraculous. And I've shared this story before, but we believe that Jesus was meeting personally with Maggie during this time, during this, this, this diagnosis into her death. And we know that because Maggie would tell us that, in, that she had dreams about heaven. And so my wife started to write these things down. One night, Maggie, um, or one day, um, Maggie told this. He said, she said this to my wife. She said, in the night, I heard voices in my bed, and it was the Lord. Okay, she's three and a half, three and a half, and it was the Lord. We don't talk like that in our house. Um, he told me, we love you. Now, she either misheard what God said, or God said, we love you. And she's the most theologically sound person ever, because she's speaking about the Holy Trinity, that we love you. Even in Genesis, they, God refers to himself as we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and she says, we love you. I think she just heard God correctly, you know? Davy asked her once, how'd you sleep, Mags? She says, I'm sad, because I dreamed about heaven, and I want to go there. And be with Jesus. I'm sad for that. I want to go. One night, Maggie woke us up and she said, I want to go. She was very upset. She says, I want to go to heaven and I want to go now. I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. She kept saying it. I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. And then we kind of stopped her and we said, Maggie, did you have a dream about heaven? And she said, yes. I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. What you need to understand is we did not tell Maggie that she was dying. She knew she had a bump in her brain. That's what she knew. 
but she didn't know she was dying until three weeks prior to her death. Because you can't tell a three-year-old, hey, you're going to die and be separated from mom and dad. You can't do that. So we didn't tell her until we knew that it was done, that it was done. And maybe I wish we would have told her a little sooner, but all of these statements, these things happened prior to us telling her that. She didn't know she was dying, and yet she's talking to us about heaven. In fact, this video, I'm going to show you a quick clip. This happened last the Christmas, the last Christmas we had with her. It was just a quick conversation we were having, and I just happened to pull out my phone and catch the very tail end of it. But look at the very first thing that she has to say. What was that, Maggie? Well, we all go at different times, baby. Why do you ask? <laughs> Is that your present? Do you want to go see God in heaven? Yeah. Oh, silly. Again, we didn't tell her that she was going to die. But yet she had this desire to see Jesus. And we believe that's because Jesus miraculously was meeting with her where we couldn't meet her, where I couldn't help her. And for that, God was with us. He was with my little girl, and he is with us. And so Emmanuel became our theme that Christmas season, right? That was my, my wife would say it over and over again, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so when we had to put a Christmas card together right after diagnosis, this is what we came up with. Emmanuel, God is with us, which is really ironic knowing our circumstance if you were to receive that Christmas card. But then Maggie passed away. And in 2015, we had to do a Christmas card again, and this is what we chose. We knew that we wanted to still talk about Emmanuel. We were still talking about how God was with us. And so we said, Emmanuel, God is still with us. And you guys, if there was one thing that I could tell you this Christmas, just one, if we had one statement that I could make to you in all statements that are out there, this is what I would tell you. I would say that God is still with you. He's still with us. If you've known Jesus and you feel distance, and especially even in this season, God is still with you. If you've never known Jesus and you feel just distance from everything, God can be with you. He's actually never left you. He's right next to you, just waiting for you to offer up your hands. God is with us. And you think, well, how is that even possible if he's physically not here? Jesus said himself, I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Comforter is capitalized because it means helper or the Holy Spirit. It's a person, the third person of the Trinity, and he will never leave you. Friends, when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into your life in a very real practical way. That's where the peace comes from, is it comes from the comforter. And that's how God is still with us. That's how Emmanuel is with us today. And Emmanuel changes everything. The first Christmas changed everything. Look at what happened. Here's what happened to the, the shepherds. After seeing him, so after seeing the baby Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. 
and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. And then I love this verse. It's kind of like they just put it in there as a side note. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is so cool. Then the shepherds returned their, to their flock. How did they return? Here it is. Glorifying and praising God for everything they had seen and heard or heard and seen. They were different. They were changed. The shepherds would never be the same again. Why? Because they saw a baby in a manger. You could see a baby in a manger and it would make no difference, but they saw the Messiah in a manger. The promise of Christmas came down to them. Guys, think about that. God came down here for us. He came down here for me and for you, literally. I, I, I don't even know how, we've heard it so many times. There's no way to say it in a new way. God, our God, Yahweh, the one who spoke life into existence, he separated light from darkness. He created everything, us included. He knows everything that's going on in here. He came down to us. He didn't wait for us. He knew that we couldn't get to him. So he came down to us and he did that in the form of a baby, of a Messiah baby. And here's my hope, you guys. My hope is that Emmanuel would change you, would change you. Because we don't have to live alone. We don't have to feel like we're in solitude. We don't have to feel and live this life without hope because Emmanuel is with you. He truly is. You don't have to keep trying harder or to prove anything. You don't have to pretend like everything's okay because Emmanuel is with you even when it's not okay. Even when everything is not okay, Emmanuel is with you. You can experience peace, true peace. You can take a breath and you can actually allow this season to come inside of you and enjoy it for what it is. Great news. Great news. Not just good news, but great news. And that great news is this. Emmanuel. God is with us. And if you've ever felt distance, and maybe you do tonight, you need to know that God is still with you and still with us.